Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Coming up, Lab and I recap a wild Sunday at Riviera and break down the field for the year's first World Golf Championship. Welcome to the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. On Friday, Callaway treated a video about Sam Burns called The Jump, which gives you great insight into his background, personality, and hidden talents, which is that he can operate an excavator. Seriously, watch the two-minute video. See it for yourself. But in terms of his on-course skills, he was first in strokes game approach on Thursday a round that obviously set him up for the rest of the tournament. For those approach shots, he's got the same apex prototype irons that John Rahm and now Xander Schauffele have in the bag. He's using an apex 23 degree hybrid, a set of Jaws raw wedges, 46, 50, 56, and 58 degrees. And he is playing the Chrome Soft X golf ball, about which he said, quote, I love this ball. It's so fast off the driver and it gives me all of the shots that I need, end quote. By the way, there were a lot of Chrome Soft X golf balls visible on Sunday with Burns, Rom, Francesco Molinari, Alex Noren, and Patrick Rogers among those playing it. And to round out Sam Burns' bag, he's got an Odyssey, number seven putter, which he loves on account of the easy alignment that it gives him. Lav, you are somewhere between Jacksonville, Florida and Orlando, Florida right now after a super secret meeting with the commissioner. What can you tell me about that? Uh, it is a project very much looking forward to that will uh, air the week of the Players' Championship, basically diving deep. It's not much of a mystery, uh, diving deep into the shutdown that, that we were covering uh, last year. I think one of the most bizarre weeks of our professional lives, certainly, uh, and, and certainly for, for Commissioner Jay Monahan, one that he's uh, not going to go, uh, not going to forget anytime soon. And so I uh, had the opportunity to sit with him for, for close to an hour today. Uh, rec, which was which was great, and I'm looking forward to bringing that to viewers uh, during our live from programming, and of course online uh, on GolfChannel.com. I, so even even though I'm traveling, you're you're fresh off a red eye from from Riviera. How was the uh, how was the airport uh, cuisine that you were probably enjoying at 11 o'clock local time? Uh, there is no airport cuisine. Uh, Los Angeles and, and much of California is still very much in quarantine. So it was just sitting around staring at uncomfortable people and angry people who were getting on a red eye. Forget about all that. All I could think about, and I, this, is the, this is the God honest truth. Getting on that plane, I was thinking to myself about this podcast. And the way I wanted to do this is I just wanted to go through our text stream from Sunday afternoon as play finished up at the Genesis Invitational and starting This is with, usually this is usually very dangerous. 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to edit some stuff out, obviously. I mean, we have to be because we get a loosey-goosey. My guess is you were a couple IPAs into it on Sunday night as you were watching the final round. But you started with, quote, Rex, he can't really blow this one, can he? Rex, dot, 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 can he? <laughs> <laughs> we're talking, of course, about? It could have, we're talking, of course, about Tony Fina. And, and that's a terrible way to start because it was such a cool victory by Max Homa. And I'm going to fall back. I'm going to play the greatest hits and go back on. It's very, very hard to win on the PGA Tour. And that being said, I have now, really in the last less than two months, I've seen Tony Finau kind of do this three times now. I was at the American Express, and he took a share of the lead into the final round and lost. And he lost uh, uh, shooting a decent round. So I, I contend he got beat there. Uh, I saw a similar thing happen at Torrey Pines, where he wasn't in the lead, but he was certainly in contention. And then Saudi course, International, four times, four times. Saudi International, I was not at, obviously, but then you throw that one in there, of course, what happened this week. But the one thing that I'm taken by, that I am fascinated by, and look, I think Tony Finau is a wonderful human being and an even better golfer. And I do believe we all know, I truly feel like he's going to get that second victory. That being said, now having heard this three times myself and then fourth time uh, from what I read from Saudi Arabia, he is kind of going down different roads every time this happens. And he's playing this sports psychology mental you know, ping pong match with himself and his, his explanation on Sunday, which it holds water in my opinion, but it's going to get harder and harder to come up with these explanations was I just wanted to see if I could go low on a Sunday and I did it and I proved something to myself which I was kind of like, all right, he, he did shoot the round of the day by two strokes, a 64, and he just got beat by Max Homa in a playoff. But, man, it's going to get harder and harder to justify this, is it not? It is. And, look, I think, I think it's worth saying that, that Tony Finau has been impossibly and endlessly gracious and positive about something that would probably crush a lot of players on the PGA tour. I mean, the, the, since Tony Finau won since stats, like they're, they're crazy. Like the number of top tens that he's had since the start of the 27, 2017 season without a win, I think it's like 21 more top tens than any other player. Like it's just outrageous. And so to, to get that close that often would, would crush you if you weren't to have a victory, but to listen to Tony Finau, it, it's to your point, it's, Oh, you know, I just got, I just got outplayed. You know, I, I just, you know, I, I made a bad, maybe have made a bad decision there, you know, just a couple more putts here or there. It, and I actually think Rex that there was the potential, however brief that Tony's final round at Riviera could have been cathartic. And I, and I actually thought it was, you know, the fact that he, he did only make one mistake. It happened to be on the 15th hole. Uh, after his, his drive caught the top of the bunker and rolled back in, he, he, he made five. That was the only mistake that he made. Bad Other bogey, that, you caught it in the text chain. Bad yeah, bogey. It was, it, it, was, it was a bad bogey. Uh, but it was also kind of a, a bad break that it, that it stayed in the bunker. However, you, you know, that's, that's the type of round that can be cathartic for him. He, he hadn't been that guy who had gone out and tried to win the tournament. He'd been that guy, he shoots two or three under par, Nothing bad, nothing great, but he he ends up losing to to the to whoever gets gets hot on Sunday. That didn't happen on Sunday, and I think if Max Homa had made that three foot putt on the seventy second hole, 
it spares Tony Finau a whole lot more heartbreak. It completely changes the way that we would have viewed his Sunday because Tony Finau did what he set out to do. He did have the low score on Sunday. He did hold up under pressure. He did handle the Sunday crucible, and Max Homa just kind of nipped him at the end. I think if Tony Finau is leaving L.A. on Sunday night, having shot 64 and losing by one because Max Homa birdied the 72nd hole to beat him, I think it's a total game changer for him, a huge confidence booster for him. Except that's not what happened. Except there was more golf to be played. And the fact that he played the way that he did in those playoff holes, it it actually, this might hurt more than any of the other close calls that he's had. And he's had a number of them since he won Puerto Rico in 2016. I I don't know about that. Because again, I just think, we talked with Jordan last week and Jordan was really eloquent talking about being on his path and being comfortable on his path. I I think that Tony is very much the same thing. And and what I laughed about in our text chain, when you just meat handed through the bad bogey at 15, like I didn't even ask who it was. I knew I I was talking about Tony again. You didn't come back with me with back-to-back birdies to put himself right back in there on 16 and 17. I think it's selective memory with you sometimes when you're watching golf. It uh, could be. I also, if you were paying attention to Twitter, which I'm sure you were since you weren't working, I called, I said that I think this is actually Tony Finau's week. And I said that with Sam Burns up by two shots on the 11th hole. Like I, I, it just, to me, it felt like he had this sense of calm. He was comfortable. He'd learned his lessons over the past couple of weeks. He was actually going to pull through. I actually thought that this was going to be Tony Finau's week. I thought that all the way up until Max Homa stuffed it on 18. Like, I thought Tony Finau had actually done it. And then, you know, you open the floodgates, and, boy, is this a guy who's going to now win not just one major but multiple majors, going to get the double-digit wins. Like, I think we all think that Tony Finau has that type of talent. It just It's just this immense hurdle that he needs to get over from one win to two wins. That's where I was going with that, Rex. Well, and if we're going to do the, the Monday thing, right, if we're going to sit here and talk about everything that Tony did, I, I'm joking – about the bogey on 15, because the only thing in in retrospect that I feel like he did that he probably needs to learn from is you don't go pin hunting on that second playoff hole. You go to the middle of the green. It was the 14th hole. It's not a particularly hard par three, at least not by Riviera standards. And it seems to me he went pin hunting, tugged a little bit, put it in the bunker and put himself in the bad position because everything that happened on 10, it's it's a difficult hole. It's a demanding hole. And he, he was in the mayor's office. He was in the perfect spot off the tee. But that does not guarantee a birdie on that hole. That's why, in my opinion, it's such a good hole. But you, there, the only thing that I found that he really did wrong, he got a little aggressive, it seems like, on 14. I'm not sure if he got aggressive or it was just a bad swing at a really bad time. But you're, but you're right. He had the entire green to his right. That's a green that we've seen over the past couple of days that wasn't holding hardly any approach shots. I mean, it was absolutely rock solid firm and so in his mind he should have been calculating i don't need to make a birdie here let's go ahead and play 30 feet right of the fin two putt for par make maxoma go out and hit a miracle shot or roll on a really long putt to beat me and then let's go ahead and, and go to the 18th hole where with, with his driving prowess he should he should basically have just a just a flip wedge in there i, I so i'm not sure if it was it was a bad swing. Uh, Nota began the postgame show was talking about how he came over the top and just kind of flipped it, which would suggest it was a bad swing at a really bad time. Um, 
but I kind of took more offense with Tony's putting stroke on the two playoff holes. I mean, that is besides driving accuracy, which may or may not hurt you on a benign regular PJ tour setup. His, his putting stroke is the reason why he hasn't won multiple times on the PJ tour. I think that's just, that's just plainly obvious. And so for him to miss the seven footer on number 10 on the low side with a putt that barely got to the hole uh, was incredibly weak. And then reading through his transcript later, it just sounded like he, he bashed the 12 footer that he had for par on 14, because you get into that type of match play scenario where you think, you know, to, to extend, you got to hit it a little bit harder than you do just to make sure you get it there. And you end up not playing the uh, correct break for the amount of pace that he was going to have on it. Um, and so I, yeah, I think it was a, it was a really bad swing and he shouldn't have potentially been flag hunting on 14. I also look back on the 10th hole. That was a very straightforward pitch shot that he hit to seven feet above the hole and in in into a spot where he, he really probably couldn't make as aggressive of a stroke as he wanted. I think if you asked anyone in that field, if, if I had a seven footer for birdie on 10, would you take that? They would say yes. And I mean, that's just the, the difficulty and sort of the uniqueness of that hole. I, we spent too much time on this because I'm going to go to what really was what makes sports great, specifically golf in this situation. The range of emotions on the 18th hole when Max hits the walk-off sand wedge to three feet, four inches. And you love throwing stats out. So the stat I throw out is 99.57%. That's his conversion rate this season on the PGA Tour from three feet. It was, it was more than a three-footer. It was a three-and-a-half-footer. It was three feet, four inches. I mean, we can, we, can, we can barter about how you want to do it. But 99.57%. And the, the reason it was so painful for me, and, and I would say the reason why, again, golf is, is, is such a unique sport to watch, it's because you and I and everyone else watching that on TV could all sympathize on being in that position and knowing deep down inside, I don't think I can make this putt. <laughs> I actually, I actually loved your, your lead. I, I read it this morning and I think I'm not trying to uh, misquote you here, but you had said something along the lines of that, that you didn't account for the chambers of the human heart or something along the lines of, so this is a tournament that is exceedingly meaningful to Max Homa. I think his post-game quote was something along the lines of of the tournaments that he wanted to most win in his career, this was 1A, 1B, and 1C. And so that's not just your regular run-of-the-mill three-footer that's three, three feet, four inches long that he probably makes in his sleep on Thursday morning or Friday afternoon or early Saturday or maybe even early Sunday. But you put the weight of the 72nd hole knowing you need to ha have that game win in order to win knowing what it does mean to you. You try not to be results-based in the sport if you're a professional golfer, but knowing what it means to you if you can knock that in. Uh, it was a little bit too much for him to handle. He even admitted afterward that, A, he choked, and, and B, he was, he was shaking. And, and again, I'm going to let some insight into our text chain, and I'm the one that wrote this text. As they go to the playoff, given Tony Finau's history, which we have now covered very, very well, and given the fact that we know what this tournament meant to Max. He didn't, we didn't need to hear it from him. He certainly did a very good job of explaining it, but knowing what happened on the 18th hole and how much this tournament meant to him, I don't know how gambling works, but I would not have felt comfortable putting money on either one of those players to win that playoff. Oh, totally. And let's, let's be honest. I mean, the, the playoff was an absolute pillow fight. I think Max got a little bit hosed in, in terms of where his drive on 10 ended up. Uh, that could, that could have been a, a very straightforward pitch back up the hill. 
Instead, he's he's almost stymied uh, behind the tree. Neither of his birdie putts on either 10 or 14 really had much of a chance. However, to your point, you wouldn't think that a guy who just missed a three-footer in the tournament that he wants to win most uh, would be able to bounce back so quickly. And that's where Lacey Homa, that's where Lacey Homa Lacey. deserves some props. She's the real MVP. Because after uh, Max signs his card, he, he gets on the horn with her and she tells her, she tells him what, for, forgive, forgive quickly. Forgive yourself for making such a boneheaded mistake and missing that three-footer to win and shake it off. I thought that, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it, it was very good. He, getting on the phone with his wife, that was actually the message that she gave him at the beginning of the week, was forgive yourself quickly. And for whatever mistakes you might happen, might make on the golf course, certainly it was apropos considering what happened on the 18th hole. And there was also a bit of a pep talk. And what's interesting is, is Max, again, bleeds honesty, and he's probably one of the best quotes in the business. But he said that when he called his wife, the first words out of his mouth were, was, I think I choked. And that's the kind of honesty that you don't really put into context that I'm about to go out in, in a playoff. I mean, you, you don't put yourself in that mental state. And I just think it's a fascinating case study about how someone can be so down in one split second and then right back up again. I, I talked to his caddy, Joe Greiner, after the round, and I'm like, what in the world, what did you say to him? Like, well, what could you say to him? And he kind of did the sports psychologist thing. He goes, look, man, this is your tournament. This is our city. This is our golf course. You're going to win this. And I, I just love the sort of juxtaposition there of how he was able to get these emotional swings. It, it was really, really, and, and we can go through the West Coast swing, but that was my favorite finish. And so after he tells his wife, hey, I think I just choked a little bit, she didn't, she didn't bury him like, oh, yeah, you, you, definitely, <laughs> you, you definitely pulled that one. Is that what She's, your wife's doing? Yes, yes, you choked. No, I was, so I was thinking, like, my wife would not have been that positive with me. If I, <laughs> if I called her after just signing my car, she, she would not have told me that I just played great and I just shot a bogey pre-66 and, hey, boy, you've seen Tony Finau's playoff record. Like, let's, let's go out and get it. She would have been like, oh, yeah, I mean, that was brutal. Did you – what a terrible putt. I mean, that's my wife wouldn't have picked up the phone. New phone, who this? Oh, she yeah, she would have been, she would have been drinking. She's she's gonna send that one straight to voicemail. So I I thought I thought that was really cool. I mean, Max clearly has a, a terrific support system around him. He's a, he's a great dude. I've covered him for a long time. Back to his days uh, at Cal, uh, but it's clear that he's got a caddy, Joe Griner, who he's been friends with since grade school. He's got a, a really dedicated and supportive wife. Uh, he's had the same swing coach for a long time now. It's 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 great to see, you know, we put so much emphasis on major championships, WGCs, Players Championship, things of that nature. And, and this obviously is an elevated tournament. It's got, it comes with a three-year exemption. It's, you know, Tiger Woods is the host. Uh, it's a tournament that players want to win. Uh, but for him to to say that winning the Genesis, he's not sure that anything can ever top that feeling, um, was was really cool. I thought it was a perfect capper and a launching pad into what's a, a pretty heavy um, upcoming schedule of golf here. Yeah, I don't think you can overstate that. I mean, his caddy told me that, you know, maybe after Augusta, this is the one that means the most. But then when Max talked about it, you're right. He said that this is the one. Like, I don't know what else I'm going to possibly do in golf that's going to be better than this one. And you saw it in the emotions. All right, before we move on to this week's World Golf Championship, which you will be at, I also wanted to touch on the host, Tiger Woods, who did make the trip. Out to California. He was there on Saturday. Uh, he smoked, spoke during the CBS telecast 
on Sunday, did not have many things to say, didn't say much, but for those of us that read between Super the pessimistic, super pessimistic. Super pe- you yeah, gotta, it, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be honest about this. It was, it was, it was depressing. Absolutely depressing. It, it Yes. Like, I just think th- this is not what I expected when we hear that he was, you know, hitting pitch shots a month ago. And now suddenly it's, are you going to be at Augusta? Oh God, I hope so. That, that, that quote right there threw me. Like, it, like we're really at that point where he's thinking to himself, man, I hope to, I hope to, but you know, who knows? I mean, he clearly regressed, right? Like, so he had, he had this fifth back surgery and I think they, they termed it a procedure. I don't think anything that you do five times can just be dismissed easily as, as just a little minimally invasive procedure. It's his fifth back surgery for a guy who's 44 years old. Like it's, it's a serious, it's a serious issue for him. And even Tiger admitted that he doesn't have quote, much wiggle room left end quote with his surgically repaired back. And so it went from having the procedure December 23rd, Noda talked to him and said, um, he, he relayed on golf central that tiger was out hitting balls a couple weeks after that. And now he's tigers to the point where he needs to get the okay from his surgeons in order to ramp up activity. If tigers hasn't even begun ramping up activity, whatever that means, hitting drivers, having a rain session that lasts longer than 30 minutes. We're, we're not really sure. He was kind of vague about that. I, I don't think he's anywhere close to being ready for competition. I mean, we were thinking, I believe on a podcast last week, we were kind of speculating, oh, you know, it makes sense to see him if he's healthy. He'd play the Players' Championship. You thought, you know, the WGC match play makes a lot of sense, get three guaranteed rounds. Uh, to me, it, it's at best a 50-50 proposition of whether he's going to be at the match play. And I think just because of the, the, the timeline, it puts in serious jeopardy any sort of warm-up event. I think that's almost a non-starter at this point. I mean, it's clear that if he if he returns to golf anytime in the near future, it'd be at Augusta, and that would be the first time we've seen him since the Masters five months ago. Dude, imagine how I felt. I foolhardily sat on Friday afternoon at 5 o'clock East Coast time waiting for the field to come out for this week's World Golf Championship, thinking to myself, he's qualified. We don't know. Let, let's take a look. Like in, And he's t- talking about the Masters, which is two months away? God, I hope so. That's the quote. And the actual quote that the other part that sort of threw me, and this is, this is what Tiger does. He, he like latches on to a word in these situations. So he said, there's an MI, a, a, MRI scheduled to see if the annulus is scarred over finally so he can start doing more activ- activities. Did you know what that meant when he said it? No, I kind of glossed over that. That was just Tiger filling up air time and not wanting to, to talk about what everyone else wanted to talk about. Do you know what an annulus is? He used it correctly. No. It's it's a disc, and so it, it, by all indications, this fifth back procedure was a disc above where he had had the previous procedures, and that apparently before you can start. And, and look, this this took me down a, a Google rabbit hole in the middle of a final round of a tour event that I'm covering that I had no business going down, but it, it needs to it needs to be scarred over enough that the doctors are confident that you can't hurt it with activity. And by what I read, and I don't want to play a doctor on a podcast, but my research said to me that we could be looking at three, three and a half months, four months of rehab before this is scarred over enough for him to get the green light to start swinging. That's, that's why I, I, I laughed when Tiger came out in his statement and said, 
you know, it was, it was minimally invasive and I hope to be a return to competition soon. And, and a player on the, uh, the PJ tour, Graham Dillette, who has had a number of microdiscectomies, he goes, anyone calling this a procedure, it's laughable. There's, this is a surgery. A surgery takes time to recover from, to rehab from. And that's just, that's the easy part. Then it's actually getting your game sharp enough to compete at a PJ Tour level against guys like Dustin Johnson and John Rahm and, and Justin Thomas. I mean, that's the hard part is actually putting in the time to get your game at a, at a point where you're not going to embarrass yourself against the world's best players. I don't, to, if you're, if you're asking me right now, late February, will we see Tiger at the Masters? Based on what we heard yesterday, to me, to me the answer is no. I am not optimistic. All that being said, I'll be the same guy sitting around at 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on Friday waiting to see if he's uh, committed to play Bay Hill next week, which is uh, – You're just you're, – you're a sucker. You need to find something better to do at 5 o'clock on a Friday. I have a cocktail in my hand, but I'll still be doing it, which is kind of a sad indication of my life. All right, before we move on to this week's World Golf Championship at Concession, where you will be, it's your first time on the road this year. You must be – Excited. I did want to point out one thing that Sunday that stuck with me amid all the excitement of Max Homa and the Tony Finau speculation. The world number one, Dustin Johnson, started the final round tied for second, two strokes back, right where we expect Dustin to be, and shot an over, over par final round and was never really in the conversation coming down the stretch. Concern? No concern? Just nothing to see here? What's your thought? I think it's probably just a momentary blip. I, I was, I'm with you. I mean, Dustin's sitting two shots back heading to the final round. I thought uh, this was his title and he's probably going to win by, by two or three. Uh, I think the early indication when he was missing left, he absolutely hates that shot where it starts on the left and does not peel back, back into the fairway. I think when we saw that early, it was, it was clear they didn't quite have his swing uh, on Sunday afternoon and Riviera was set up to, to really punish shots that, that weren't struck uh, perfectly. And so Dustin was a little bit off and it ended up being his first over par round in the final round since this tournament exactly a year ago. Uh, so I think it's just a momentary blip. Wouldn't surprise me at all to see him uh, be back to being the very dominant world number one this week at concession. I was waiting for your stat. Very good stat on that one. All right, I'm going to get you out of here because you are on the road and it's dangerous with you not paying attention. Uh, you will be at the WGC. And given what happened last week, Rory missed the cut, J JT missed the cut. What are your expectations going into that? For, for those two players uh, in, in particular, I've seen a little bit more out of Rory over the past month to be, to be more optimistic. Uh, JT's going through a little bit of a, of a rough patch here. Uh, it wasn't just the, the kind of the brouhaha that, that came out of his homophobic slur at, at Kapalua that's kind of lingered over his miscut at, at Saudi. Um, obviously, on Saturday night of the Phoenix Open, he also lost his grandfather, um, who's really close to. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to make excuses for his form, but he's had he's had a lot going on um, for these past couple of months. He talks to the media on Tuesday morning um, in Bradenton. So I'm curious to see what he has to say, um, kind of those distractions and, and how he feels about this upcoming stretch. Uh, between those two players, um, I would think, Roy would potentially have a better showing this week. I think this feels very much like a, a John Rahm tournament. Uh, if you're going to be gathering 48 of the top 50 players in the world on a golf course, that's going to uh, probably take driver out of some of these players' hands and really force their hand with, with precision. 
Uh, it's a golf course he has actually played before, 2015 NCAA championships, won by a Bryson DeChambeau who's about 75 pounds lighter at the time. Um, I think this is this is like a, a week that I would I would pick John Rahm um, and and kind of feel pretty good about it. Well, and John Rahm had a good finish at Riviera, so he certainly has some momentum. And I'm not going to be surprised. I mean, we'll be talking about Tony next Monday when we uh, are both heading out to Bay Hill, Orlando, the tour comes to town. Laugh, I'm going to let you drive in peace. Uh, I'm not going to ask you about grilling this week since you won't be home, but we'll, we'll revisit this next week. That'll do it for this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. We'll talk to you next week. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.